We are in this series on face-to-face booking. You know, it's been a difficult uh, series for me. And you might say, well, then why in the world are we doing this thing, right? Um, but let, let me just tell you some of, my, some of my thinking. There is some, believe it or not, behind it. Um, as I look at Scripture, I look at the book of Romans. Paul doesn't come to the Romans and say, let me exegete for you the book of Numbers. We're starting at the beginning. We're going all the way to the end. Instead, he deals with issues that they were dealing with, and he brings biblical principles upon it. When he writes the book of Galatians, he doesn't say, I'm going to exegete for you the book of Leviticus from beginning to end. He deals with the issues they're dealing with, and he brings biblical principles upon it. When he writes the book of Colossians to the saints at Colossae, He doesn't start with the book of Ruth. He says, I'm going to start where you all are, where the issues are, and bring biblical principles upon it. Matter of fact, every single letter that Paul wrote, that's the way he addressed it. Every single letter that Peter wrote in the scripture and John wrote. Matter of fact, all of the epistles are that way. Matter of fact, as Jesus approaches the seven churches in Revelation, he does the exact same thing. Starts with where they are, bringing biblical principles upon it. Well, one of the places where we are today, is this whole internet social media deal. I mean, this is actually big stuff. You might say, well, how big is it? Well, let me throw some numbers by you. These are going to be huge. So just try to keep these in perspective. If you if you keep in mind that the U.S. has about 330 million people, 330 million people live in the United States of America. About 7 billion, a little over 7 billion worldwide, right? 7, 7 billion in the world. Facebook, Facebook, every month, unique active users, these are folk who will go to Facebook, their Facebook page every single month, it's not someone who started a Facebook page and then walked away, but these are active users, every month, almost 2 billion people are are active on on Facebook. You you look at, uh, where are we at? YouTube, one billion unique people every, it's one-seventh of the world's population every month go to YouTube. Instagram, 700 million. That's that's twice plus the the population of the United States. 700 million unique users every, every month. Twitter, 313 million. Snapchat, 300 million. Reddit, 250 million. Pinterest, 150 million. LinkedIn, 106 million people. Unique people are going to this place. So when you put all that together and you, you try to, it's a little bit crazy to try to figure out how many unique folk are in social media, you're going to get somewhere between three to three and a half billion people. That's half of the world's population is in social media. Now, if you're not sure what social media is, think of like all of the internet is kind of like television. Social media is like reality television. You know, I mean, you can be a part of this thing. No one gets voted off, but you are a part of this deal. That's, that's kind of, we've got half the world's population. Three billion people I have access to right here. Three billion folk. And what do we know about these people? Well, we know several things. We know they're created in the image of God. Therefore, they were created for relationship with God. They've got this hole inside them that only God can fill. And the vast majority of them are trying to fill it with all kinds of other stuff that won't satisfy. We, we know that those, those everybody is, has fallen. So those three plus billion people are, are separated from him. Some have been redeemed, but vast majority not. Every one of those folk are hurting. Now, most of it, we live our life on that surface. 
It's how we present to other people. It's all superficial, but all of us have an underneath side. And so the three, they're just like us. The three billion folk are struggling. They're hurting. They're upset. They're confused. They're wondering uh, what, what this is all about. And we've got access to never before in the history of the world. What an unprecedented opportunity we have. And so when the church posts, when we're online, what are the three billion folk getting? Well, we are posting, we're communicating substantially. In a given minute, every minute, 510,000 comments are shared, 293,000 status updates, 136,000 photos uploaded. That's just about every minute, one million pieces of, of communication go out. That's 56 million new messages every hour. That's 1.3 billion new messages every day, just a day. 1.3 billion on Facebook alone. So lots of information is going out. Lots of people communicating. But what are they communicating? What, what, what is our responsibility for this, this incredible place we find ourselves at this time and place in history? What, what are we communicating? So we, we want to look at this morning, what would Jesus post? Okay, that's, that's kind of that's kind of what, we're, what we're checking out. Because this is, this is where we're coming from with this. Because this is important. In, in Matthew chapter 12, he says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. May I say, say for every careless post they post. For by your posts, you will be justified. And by your posts, you will be condemned. We will give an account. Whether our communication is written or face-to-face or electronic, we will give an account for everything we communicate. So we need to, we need to I think it's probably good for us to plan now instead of when we get there going, oh, wow, I wish I would have thought about this earlier. Let's think about this now. How do we plan for this? Also thinking that we've got so many folk that uh, we have access to. Um, what we want to look at just for a few minutes this morning is we want to look at a passage that I know you're familiar with. Very, 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 very familiar passage. But if we understand it aright, I believe it can transform our lives and our digital lives as well. If you got your Bibles, if you'll turn with me, 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. I'm just going to read the, it's this real short chapter. I'm just going to read though the first seven verses, okay? And, and you'll, you'll start reading it. If you're not familiar, you'll go, oh yeah, I've heard this before. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, And if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now you might say, yeah, I had that passage read at my wedding. 
or at your anniversary, or maybe it's on your Mother's Day card, right, that you just got. It, it, it's 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 very, very famous passage. But to understand the passage, really, what God meant it to be, we need to understand it in its context. If you notice, it's chapter 13, right? There were like 12 chapters that came in front of it. A couple after. And if you keep this in mind, that when Paul wrote this, he did not write any numbers. I mean, we're just kind of like pulling this out of the middle of, of a letter that he wrote. This is a letter that he wrote to the church at Corinth. Now, it's, it's, it's Corinth, big, facet. There's a region called Achaia, modern-day kind of Greece, in the Roman Empire. Largest city in Achaia was Corinth. Corinth was one of the most happening places in the entire Roman Empire. One of the reasons why it was on this isthmus that really connected north, south, east, west. It was a whole lot easier, cheaper, saved a lot of time to go through Corinth. You'd have to transport your stuff off your boat four miles because that's how wide the isthmus was to the other side, but still a whole lot easier to do that than to take the months it would take to go around south. And so it's like all interstates came right through Corinth. Corinth was a major, major economic hub. It was a key, key place for finance. And so, so all of the, the bigwigs, CFOs, CEOs, COOs are hanging out in Corinth. It's where industry is popping. It's again, it's where all the roads are coming through. Very, very, very diverse, diverse place. Also, Corinth has got a reputation in the Roman world as the most debauched city that's out there. I mean, they had a word throughout the Roman Empire to Corinthianize, which stood for living your life, no restrictions, anything goes as loose as you can possibly live it to the hilt. That's the way they lived in Corinth. Now, the Apostle Paul, a couple years before he writes this, he goes to Corinth. It's Hyper, hyper sin city. The whole lights, the whole city is a red light district, right? Just very, very. And he, he leads a handful of these folk to the Lord and starts a little church. And these guys that he, he's led to the Lord are all alpha dog type people. You know, they're just, they're very influential, very mover shaker type A guys. He brings them all in. And so to go to church in Corinth, though, because these guys kind of brought their baggage with them, it's kind of like going to a uh, uh, Enron exec meeting and and uh, coupled with a Ivy League convention, coupled with a used car salesman conference, and and uh, you know it's just it's just a just a conglomeration, very unique, gifted, moving type people. And if you read the book, what, what you, you you find out is these guys were very very gifted people. They they incredible gifts of speaking. There's a lot of very intelligent business folk. They were very persuasive, very wise. These were great leaders type people. These, these, these folk also were gifted miraculously with some spiritual gifts. One of the gifts that they really put out there was the gift of, of tongues. Gift of tongues is speaking in either known languages or unknown languages. And, and as you would share, the, the problem with these guys here in Corinth is they used all of their, their gifts to kind of jockey for position status updates, trying to get the, the move over other people. This was kind of the thing going on in the church. Matter of fact, in the very first chapter of, of, of 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 10 and 11, 
Paul's writing. He just, he just got through saying nothing but salutations type stuff, right? Just kicks in this letter. Really, it starts here. And this is what he says. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been reported to me that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. The reason why he starts off with this is because all of these alpha dogs, as you can imagine, are just... <laughs> There is all kinds of, of dispute and arguing and trying to one-upmanship trying to go on. From this point on, this whole letter goes downhill. And, and, and Paul is rebuking them at different places. And again, they're using all their, their stuff in the church to try to get ahead. Chapter 12, he talks about spiritual gifts. He's going to talk about them again in chapter 14. And then sandwiched between those is this chapter on love. And you can't pull it out of its context because it relates to the service in the church. That's why it was given. And so he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. He says, if I, if I spoke in, in fluent French and Italian and German and English, I could speak perfectly. And I don't, not only that, but I could connect and speak with heaven. This was not just a, a false thing. Paul's saying, if you really could do that, but you did it without love, you were just a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Now, what I was tempted to do today, I did not do this for deference to those of you who are asleep, is I was going to bring a gong, a frying pan and a spoon. And at this point, I was just going to start wailing on this thing, right? And uh, put it by my mic and start wailing. And, and we would, ah! Now, not too many of y'all, first of all, probably blow some, some uh, ear deals, wouldn't it? But, but not too many of y'all would say, oh, that's so pleasant. Do that again, please. No, no, no. Because it would just be, it would be awful, very agitating, frustrating noise. Wouldn't it? Notice his adjectives. It's a noisy gong. It's a clanging cymbal. It would, what he's saying is when you speak, when you serve in the church, when you got your gifts going on, when you post, and it's so fluid, and it's so wise, and it's so wonderful, and everyone looks at you and they go, oh, it's so great. God, up in heaven, if it's done without love, is going, you know, it's like fingernails on the chalkboard. It's just noise. But it gets a little bit worse than that. Because the term he uses for gong is the same term that's used in, in ancient literature for the gong that is in pagan temples. So the pagan priests, the gongmeisters, I guess, when, when, when the worship is going on, as it were, they would bang on these things to get the crowd frenzied up with, with pagan worship. So what is God saying to these folk who are in the church, who are speaking so fluently, whose gifts are so uh, over the, the top? He's saying you're leading people the wrong way. They don't know it. But you're leading them in pagan worship. That's what God thinks of your, your posts without, without love. But if you look at this, verses 1 through 3, this guy would make an excellent pastor in the Western church, wouldn't he? I mean, just, just think of this guy for a second. He's an incredible communicator, right? <laughs> you don't have to be by, I mean, anybody from any language could come to my church and I'd be able to, to preach in any tongue. I could interpret myself. That would be fine. Uh, I've got all prophetic power, so I know what's going on in everybody's heart. I know what's going on in everybody's mind. I know what's, what's, what's happening in that direction. I, I, there's nothing I don't know. I understand all mysteries and all knowledge. If you're the pastor, you can just communicate 
everything. There's no question that you can ask this pastor where he wouldn't know the answer to it. He's got faith that can move mountains. He is a visionary man. I mean, this guy knows where we're going, and he knows how to get there, and he knows what it takes, but he also has all that knowledge, so he knows not to push too fast. This guy is perfect leader. And on top of that, he has a concern for, for the poor people. This guy's got social justice thing going on as well. This is the guy that writes the books of, of, of leadership and church growth. And he's the one that everyone else buy these books and they come to his conferences. But in God's mind, if you do all that without love, it's a zero. It's empty. It's empty. So you gotta ask, well, what is love? Well, lots of definitions, right? But love is a, is a commitment to another's welfare regardless of personal cost. I think that, that's pretty simple. I like that. Commitment to another's welfare, and we know as believers, ultimate welfare is spiritual. Commitment to another's welfare regardless of cost. So it's not a feeling. It's, it's, it's definitely not romance and sex and those kind of things. And if you have all the romance outside of genuine, real love, it's just empty. It's self-serving. It's, it's not at all what God intended. So, so it, it's, it's a, a commitment to others' welfare, regardless of personal cost. It's not saying, I just feel really bad for you. Oh, well, deal with it. No, it, that's love for myself. It's, it's, it's involvement. Paul's not pitting love against actions. Right? He's not saying, well, it's all about love, but it's not about actions. Love requires actions, right? You with me? John 3.16, for God so loved the world. And what happens if you love? He gives his only begotten son. Big idea behind John 3.16 is not that God sent Jesus. The big idea behind John 3.16 is that God loved us so much that he had to send his son, Jesus. You're in his love, First John, John tells us. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and, and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. Romans 5, 8, Paul, Paul says, God demonstrates his love to us. He proves his love to us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Love always, always acts. It always acts. Uh, also, he's telling us something here, I think, that is kind of scary. Saying you can have gifts in the church. You can even have miraculous, God-given miraculous gifts in the church and not be saved and not be part of, part of, the, part of the real church. In Matthew 7, scary, scary, scary verses. Matthew 7 says, On that day many will say to me, now notice the many, it would be nice if he just said a few, but now he says many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name and do mighty works. The, the mighty works means miracles. And he will declare, I never knew you. Now, where do they get the power to do those miracles? Satan doesn't give that kind of, that has to come from God. We see it with, with in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus is talking he's, to his disciples and he gave his disciples, 12 disciples it says, he gave the 12 disciples power to cast out demons, power to heal. Guess who one of the disciples was? He's just going to name them in the next verse. Judas Iscariot is given power for whatever reason. God gives power. Gives gifts on occasion to people who don't know him. We see Paul in the Old Testament. We see Balaam in the Old Testament. Just be, this is the message. Just because you may be serving, just because 
Anything done outside of love is nothing in God. It doesn't guarantee anything. It doesn't guarantee. So, so what does love look like? Well, verses four through seven. Just, just real briefly, just let me just, just mention some of this. This is fascinating to me. Love is patient and kind. Uh, those are two sides of the same coin. Patient is the passiveness with people, and kindness is the active side with people. By the way, every one of these words in 4 through 7, there are two things about them. One is they are relational terms. You can't do these things by yourself. You can't be a loving person and not involved with other people. That doesn't, that doesn't work. It's against this. Also, every one of these words, just about, I think you could make a case for every one of them, deals with the other person faltering, the other person failing, the other person tripping up, the other person causing you grief. You gotta have that to love. Uh, that shouldn't be a problem, right? He says, love is patient, recognizing that the other person is in process. They haven't arrived yet, I haven't arrived yet e- either. And so it's patient with them, not pointing out every little deal that goes on. It's kind. Not only that, but when they're mean towards me, when they're rough towards me, I'm kind to them. I reflect stuff. Now think of these words of how we post online sometimes. Love, Jesus, is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. Uh, it's not arrogant. It's not, it's not proud. Social media, of course, gives us, I'm not saying we, we do it, but it gives us an opportunity to boast. Fairly easy, doesn't it? We post pictures that just make us look good, of course. We post uh, our accomplishments, we post our successes, we post, uh, if we really want people to think we're kind of humble, we'll post something a little bit self-deprecating, but not a lot. You know, I want to really know, but just enough to make them think I'm, I'm humble. It's really about image control, isn't it? It can easily be image manipulation. You're going to think about me what I want you to think about me. Nothing more online. It really can work this way, and we just need to keep in mind God gives, uh, uh, God, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We've got to keep in mind that we're dealing with God, right? And, and God who created the whole world, who's everywhere at the exact same time, who lives outside of space and time, who's, who's pure, holy. Uh, God, lots of good things about God, right? Big things about God. Uh, but when he came, it was not with his entourage and trumpets blowing. and came as a baby, born to immigrant refugee parents. In a barn, uh, he lived his whole life, not a place to lay his own head. When he died, he had to, he had to hang out in a, in a borrowed grave. Jesus is the only one really he had the right to be prideful, and, but he certainly was not. He was, he was humble. So when we post, we just got to keep in mind uh, that we need to have a humble online presence. As people look, these three billion looking at us, reading what we write, uh, it needs to be an, a humble online presence. Also, it says that it is not rude. And boy, we could spend like a series on this word. This is actually, you can, you can interject the word crude for rude. The, this is stuff that is, uh, anti-God, anti-biblical worldview. It's stuff that's just a little bit shadowy, a little bit shady. It's stuff that's, Maybe it's got humor. It's the kind of thing you laugh at, but you know you shouldn't laugh at. Just, just a little bit of those type of things that you put out there. It really refers to anything that is offensive and hurts 
people or can hurt people. Um, Ephesians 4. He says, listen, let no corrupting posts come off your keyboard, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Notice this, that it may give grace to those who hear. My posts should give grace to those who hear. Now, let me give you an example real quick. Okay, I'm not, not picking on anyone. This requires some discernment. Please just exercise lots of discernment here. Um, how would you feel if I, 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 I posted a picture on my Facebook? I'm holding a, a Bud Light in this hand and a deal of vodka over here. Uh, how would you feel? Now, I think we might agree, most of us might agree, that, that drinking alcohol is not sin. Getting drunk is sin. But just a drink, that's not sin. But still, if I post beer, how would you feel? Now, let me tell you where I'm coming from, because I grew up incredibly conservative, a very, 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 very conservative church. Stay, stay far, 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 far away. Devil, devil stuff, devil, devil stuff. Now, if I grew up Presbyterian, it probably wouldn't be a big issue, but I grew up Baptist, and so it was just not a thing for you to stay far away. Also, I've seen enough. I know that some folk can drink, and it's, it's not an issue. I realize that. But I've seen enough destroyed lives, and I've seen what it has hurt people to the point that... I don't want anything to do with it. I know my personality. I think I've got an addictive personality, and I'm just afraid of it. So I'm staying far, far, far away. Uh, just my own, my own deal. But also, because I know, if I post a deal, I've got a light over here, and I've got some vodka going on here. Some folk, especially if they grew up like me, they would go, oh, oh it's, it's, it's just, I, I, I struggle with that. Yeah, he's not drunk on the thing, but I'm struggling with that. And I know for me, if I was going to a church, just confessions, I'm the weaker brethren on this, I got that. If I'm going to a church and I see the pastor post that, I'm going to be going, I don't want to, to, but I've got something going on inside me that is just an obstacle keeping me from listening to what he's saying. It would be easy for us to say, well, that's that other person's issue. They just need to grow up. They need to get over it. They need to heal. They got to do something, but that's their issue. I've got freedom, man. This isn't a big deal. Paul would disagree. First Corinthians 8 and Romans 14, he deals with, you know what, this very, very issue. He's just talking about eating, First Corinthians 8, eating meat sacrificed to idols. And he says, there's no other gods. It's not a big deal. If meat was sacrificed to idols, just go ahead and eat it. It's not an issue. He says, but there were people who got saved out of that. And, and when they see that meat, they're thinking that meat is, eating it is kind of like worshiping the idol. And so they're, they're struggling with it huge. And you can go ahead and eat. It's not a big deal. But these guys are going to see you eating and it's going to mess them up inside. And so he says, he says this in 1 Corinthians 8. He says, and so by your knowledge that it's free for me to do, it's cool for me to do, it's not an issue. This weak person is destroyed. The brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. These are big words. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Paul says this is the law of love. Yeah, you're free. You can put it out there. But you t- if it's going to mess somebody up, back off. 
In other words, all of your posting, invite Jesus, uh, befriend Jesus, ask Jesus to follow you and pretend when you post that, you know what, Christ is going to be looking at this and I got to be considered not about my freedom as much as them. And if this is going to create some grief, if this might keep people from hearing the word of God, if this might cause people to go, whoa, I think I know what Christianity and stuff, but erase it. Paul says, I'll never eat meat again. You, you don't post. Don't, when in doubt, don't post. Don't, that's the, the root, root. We could spend, again, like a series just on that, on that word. It says love does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or easily angered, right? Or resentful. You know, the number one emotion that's manifested on Facebook is anger. It's anger. The, 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 the Facebook landscape is littered with rants. Isn't it? Have you been on this? People are ticked off at politicians and at governments and at schools and administrators and at churches and at pastors and at sports teams and at, at airlines and at police and at people who are angered at police. And this is ranting goes on situations in the world and it's just angry, angry stuff out there. And we would be good to remember. I mean, there are some things in life we should be angry about. I, I got that. But we would be good to remember the text that says, be angry and do not sin. We'd be good to remember when we post Matthew 18 that says, when you've got something against somebody, don't put it online for the world to see. You go to the person privately, Matthew says. And... If you need to rebuke somebody or somebody says something, you're putting it way out there for the world to see is not as vicious, violates all kinds of stuff when we do that. If, if you can't go face to face, you can't do a phone call, at least you get a private message thing and you, you take it that way. Was it uh, during the election? Um, I was I got on. Facebook one day, and I was not angry at all. I was doing well. Life was going great. But I read this post from somebody who was a, a former friend, uh, a neat person, actually, godliest person, but they were taking a shot at my candidate. And not only that, but they were kind of saying, not kind of about it, that anyone who would vote for my candidate was was demonic just about. You know, they were failing, they were losing, and they, were, they didn't understand Scripture, and they didn't care about God and the world. And, and well, I got ticked off. Well, probably at least before, you know, you'd write a letter and then you would stamp it. It'd take you a while and you have to wait for the postman to come. Nowadays, man, you can type and bam, hit enter and it's gone. And now, so I was pretty good. I was pretty good, but I still, well, then that person got ticked off. And then all these other people who somehow were reading the thread, they were feeding in there. And all this, and it just did not feel good to me. Christian folk, I'm just thinking of Psalm 133.1, how good and pleasant it is, God says. For brothers to dwell together in unity. Man, I sure messed that up. For the sake of the kingdoms of the world. Put it out there for the whole world to see how much we were fighting amongst ourselves. When we post, we just need to keep in mind that some things are not worth dividing the body. Some things are not worth dividing the body over. It says it does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Let me ask you. If you thought when you posted, if, if, you, if you thought that a high school kid who's thinking about taking his life was going to read your post, would that alter what you posted? 
if you thought that a junior high kid who just came to know Christ maybe looks up to you spiritually trying to figure out what, how to live this Christian life is going to read your post. What are you going to post? Would it change that? If you thought that a college kid that's going to be thinking in their heart, they're going to be walking away from Christ soon because I'm just not sure about this anymore, but they're going to check out your post, would that alter what you might post? If you thought that there was this, the, the, the mom who's, who's this close from walking away from her family, but she's going to check out your post, how would that alter your post? If there was an elderly person who was in incredible loneliness, feeling discarded, uh, not sure what to do with life, they were going to check out your post, would it alter what you posted? If it was uh, some business person who hated the church, they hated Christ, but recently God had been working in their heart and things going on in their life, they just wondered, maybe, maybe and they were going to look at your post would it change what you posted? Because you know what? That is the audience that views our post. Yeah, 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 yeah. Everyone lives on that superficial, let's laugh at the cat video thing. But everybody also has a deeper side of life. And I'm not saying uh, clean humor isn't part of, of life. That's good. We should, that's, that's fine. But we just need to be conscious of the them when we, when we post. Because if we think... I'm going to let love for other people, no matter what personal sacrifice I have to pay, let love for them control what I say, what I post. I think we'll see God's work being done. It just We just don't have access to three billion people. It's not time for us to not be as salty as we can be, not be as bright of a light as we can be. It's not time to put down the opportunity he's given us. For the sake of uh, twaddle and empty, empty entertainment, would you would you pray with me?